Um, I want to get right into this this evening. Um, you know, on Sunday evenings, we've been talking about the body of Christ. We've been talking about building up his church. Uh, Matthew 16, let's go ahead and put that up there. That's our key text that we've been looking at. And um, we've identified that Jesus stated in his word that he was going to build the church. Um, let's go up to verse 18. Jesus was talking with Peter, and he said that I will build my church. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So who's building the church? Jesus. Whose church does it belong to? Whose church is it a part of? Jesus. He said, my. He's, just, he's the one talking. I don't, if you have one of those Bibles that's got red in it, it should be red. Um, Jesus is speaking here to Peter, and he's saying that I'm going to build my church. And we looked at a couple words here. First, we saw that the word my pertained to not only possession, but also to being a part of something. Okay, being attached to. So it's more than just belonging to something or owning something or possessing something. It's actually being a part of uh, the, the person who says mine. So it's more than we belong to church or we belong to Jesus. We used to sing a song uh, that said, I belong to Jesus way back in the day. And thank God we belong to Jesus. Amen. We're in his family. We've been adopted in. But here Jesus is speaking of something deeper. He's saying, I will build my church, meaning that my church will be identified as belonging to me and being a part of me, being attached to me. And so we looked at um, a couple uh, areas in the Bible. We've looked at Romans chapter 12, and we looked at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul is stating um, and using an analogy of the body as, or as the, using an analogy of the church as a body, as one unit. Well, we all know what a body looks like. We all know the makeup of a body, the characteristics of a body, how a body works and functions. And we know that the body is one unit. There's only one body that you possess. But in that body are many members. There are many uh, different parts of your body that all work together for the same goal. We all have a head. We have ears. We have eyes. We have legs. We have feet. We have hands. We have arms. We have a heart, lungs, uh, stomach, brain. Okay? These are all parts of our body that work together to do what? To keep us alive so we can function in the earth. Okay? And so we've identified that the body, the church, has many members, has many parts. The first part that we looked at was the head of the church, the most vital part, because without your head, you have no senses. There are some churches in, in the world that just don't have any sense, and that's because they are, uh, they are detached from the head. The head is where you have the hearing. The head is where you have the seeing. The head is where you have the tasting. Okay, And then when you're touching, the head is what tells you what you're touching, along with the other senses. You know, if you have your eyes closed, you can sometimes tell what you're touching based upon smell. Or if you have your eyes closed, you can sometimes tell uh, where you're at just by hearing it. Okay, So there's other senses that are working 
what? Together. Okay? So uh, we need to make sure that as a body we are staying attached to the head. Who's the head? The, who's the head of the church? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the head of the church. And that simply means that he's over the church and he's calling the shots. My head tells my body what to do. Uh, my head may be thirsty, but it can't get it done without the body. My head may be hungry, but it can't get it done without the body. Um, you know, you know, all these, anything you try to do has to be accomplished through your body, whatever your head wants to get done. Then we looked at the body, the actual body, the church, and how the church has to identify itself with the head because it's the same unit. Up here right now, is it, this is not... Pastor Mark's head and his body is with him. This is Pastor Mark altogether. So my body is identified with how you view my head. And so we had to look at the head, Jesus Christ as the authority, and we had to line up our picture. The, what I have to do here uh, with the church is I have to redefine some things. Because what I'm doing, in essence, is I'm trying to paint a picture of something that the world has skewed or that the enemy has misdrawn up, misrepresented. Um, and so now I'm having to redirect you back to what the church is supposed to look like. Because the church is not a building. Uh, the church is not a pastor. Everything I tell you is not just for me because I'm a pastor and I have to live it and I have to read it and study it. Okay? Let's get that out of the way. This is for the body. And I'm in this fit as God called me to direct the body and to lead the body of Christ, this church here in Valdosta. And so um, you have to understand that the direction that I'm giving is I'm having to repaint a lot of pictures and I'm having to redirect a lot of times and show you um, what the Bible says about something because the world has taken us away from that. And the church is one of those. Uh, there's many subjects. Just about every subject that I'll touch, you know, for a while, I'm going to be changing a lot of thinking. That's why I started out the year with renewing your mind. Uh, that was purposeful. I didn't just go through and say, okay, well, you know, where should I start? What, what, am I, what do I feel good with? Um, that is a topic that I feel very comfortable with, but I was very purposeful to start with that because if I can start with renewing your mind and getting uh, you to change your thinking in some areas, then we can go anywhere. I can preach about the kingdom. I can preach about the church. I can preach about the Holy Spirit. I can preach about prayer. I can preach about love. And you'll be able to repent in your thinking, change your thinking to line up with the word of God, and then we can move forward. This is very important. A lot of people hate the word brainwash. And for, for certain reasons, we should. Because there are people that are literally trying to brainwash you. But the word is trying to. I mean, the word tells us that we need to be cleansed by the word. That sounds like a washing to me. I tell you, some of us could do good by getting our brains washed. I mean, just think about the words. Brain washed. I mean, there's some people that got some junk up in our brains that it would be good for us to go ahead and get it cleansed out, get it cleaned out, and get rid of it, and let's line it back up with the Word. Okay? There are people that are in, in hard opposition with stuff that I teach and stuff that I preach and stuff that we're saying here. And 
uh, it only reaffirms for me that I'm doing the right thing because Jesus was under the most opposition anybody could ever be. The disciples and the apostles faced opposition every corner they went. Okay? Um, this is a message that will receive uh, much opposition. And this is why. Kind of getting off a little bit, but I need to go here. With what I say and with the words that I carry comes weight. Um, and some things carry more weight than others. Okay? Some things that I say you may be able to receive and, and walk out of here, and your life isn't necessarily immediately, i got to change this. But then there are some things that as soon as you hear it, we immediately identify as soon as we walk out of here a new way of thinking or a new way of living. And with that weight comes responsibility. And this is where a lot of pastors have shied away from in church. They fear putting responsibility on their church and on their people. Because everything I tell you, you become responsible for. Okay? The the responsibility isn't only on me. Because I preach it and because my title is pastor. The responsibility falls on anyone that hears the word. With much knowledge comes much responsibility. And so what I teach you, you're responsible for living. Now here's the other part about what I teach you. What I don't teach you or what I shy away from is an area for the enemy to attack you. Because the enemy attacks in your weakest place. And your weakest place is the place you're most ignorant. If you don't have knowledge in an area, that's called an open door to the enemy. Okay? There's two open doors you can give to the enemy. It's either ignorance or if you choose not to live according to a certain thing. If you choose not to carry the responsibility of what you're hearing. And so everything that we preach and everything that we teach comes with responsibility. And so there's weight to that. And so there are different weights that come to people's lives based upon what I hear. There are some things that I say that for some people you may be good. And that may be an area that you walk out and you're able to live a certain way. Then there are other areas. There are other people that carry a certain weight with you and you know, man, that hit me. I mean, how many of you ever been in a church service you feel like a preacher's preaching right at you? Yeah, we've all been there. Why? Because it just opened up an area in your life that we needed to change or um, that was affected that we need to apply in our lives to see that change. Okay? So when we talk about the church, because we're talking about the church, amen, we're talking about the body of Christ, and what we need to identify is that we are that body. We're not talking about having church. We're not talking about going to church. We're not talking about playing church. We're talking about being the church. Because the church is a person. The church is called the body of Christ. Which means that we need to look like somebody. And when you look like Christ, I don't mean doing good things and saying hi to people on the streets and giving to the poor. I'm talking about doing the works of Jesus. And he empowered the church to do that. And that's, gonna, that's kind of where we're going today. Uh, today, I'm going to kind of, it's going to be an eye-opener. 
today is going to be a word um, that probably for most people in this room is going to be the first time you've ever heard it put this way. Um, I've kind of touched on this a little bit when we talked about the body. Remember, we talked about the head, and then we talked about the body. And when I talked about the body, remember I made this statement. Nothing in the earth should take place without the church's permission. That's the power of the church. Okay? And we say amen to that, and we get excited about that, but when we really look at it and really think about it, again, there comes that responsibility. Um, Many things are happening in this world today because the church is just simply not standing up for some certain things. Uh, Government is corrupt because the church isn't getting involved. Um, The music industry is corrupt because the church is not getting involved. The sports industry is corrupt. Because church is not getting involved. Um, every area, you've got to understand that since heaven is supposed to be influencing the earth, the earth was never meant to operate outside of heaven. was not designed to do so. The earth was not designed to operate without, kingdom, without, the heaven, without heaven's influence in the earth. It wasn't designed to do that. The earth has been put into another ruler's hands. The prince of darkness, the ruler of the air. I mean, Jesus talked about this. There's another ruler here. Uh, God is not ruling this earth like he originally intended. But he sought to bring the kingdom back. And when we look here in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to see exactly how he plans to bring his heavenly influence back into the earth. And it's through his church. Let's start with verse 13. And we're going to look at this whole conversation. This has been our text from the beginning. But I want to start at the beginning of this conversation and how this whole thing started. And in verse 13, Jesus is talking with his disciples. It says, When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. So he's already, he's starting out here by asking his disciples, how do people identify me? How do people see me? He's talking about himself here. How do people view me? What are they saying about me? Let's go on. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. First thing Jesus does here is he identifies who he is. And he's asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? What is everybody saying about me? What do they think I am? Why do they think I'm here? What are they saying my purpose is? And so... He goes to his disciples, and they respond back with, they're one of the prophets. 
They say, you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Notice here that Jesus is not moved at all by what people are saying. First thing he does is he's identifying himself. And then he comes right over and starts to identify the church. And what he's saying here is no matter what people say about you, you're not moved. That's what he's saying. He's saying it doesn't matter what they call you. It doesn't matter what they think you're doing. It doesn't matter what they think your purpose is. It doesn't matter what they say about you. How many of you know the world has a lot to say about the church? But I'll tell you this. The world is glad that we're here. I'll trust you that. Because if we were to leave, everything would fall apart. And we're going to see that today. How many of you believe that if the church were not here, this world would fall apart? It would begin, I mean, it's already falling apart. We're seeing corruption. But I'm going to tell you right now, it would escalate quickly. I mean, the enemy would be running his course like nobody's business. But the church is here. So what he's saying here is, who are people saying, and what are you saying? And Peter rightfully answers, by the Spirit. Peter did not say that on his own. Because you notice Jesus, after he asked his disciples, who, do you, who are people saying that I am? They give him their responses, and he says, but who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? That's the way he responded. And then Peter comes back and says, I believe you're the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. And Jesus responds back and says, you did not come up with that on your own, but that was given to you by my spirit, by my father revealing that to you. The only people that will be able to decipher who you really are and what you're really doing is people led by the spirit of God. So that means you don't let your coworkers tell you who you are. You don't let your family tell you who you are. You don't let your friends tell you who you are. The only ones that can tell you who you are is the Word of God and anybody led by the Spirit of God. This is very important because people are moved out of church and moved off of what they're hearing in church and moved off of what they believe because they just don't seem to identify properly with people around them. And you are to change people's opinion about you, not become what people's opinions about you are. This is the church. We're talking about authority. Now, I want to go on, and we're going to look back at verse 18. And he says, I say to you that you are Peter. I mean, this is a whole identity thing going on here. I mean, he's just identifying everything. He's identifying what people say about him. He's identifying who he really is. He's identifying who Peter is. And then he goes on and says, and on this rock, I will build my church. Whose church? Whose church? His church. Jesus is talking. Jesus' church. And he says, the gates of hell will not prevail. Verse 19. And I will give you the keys. Everyone say the keys. The keys of what? The kingdom, not the keys to religion, not the keys to a belief system, not the keys to Christianity, the keys to the kingdom. Why would we need keys to the kingdom? Because in this earth, everything has been locked up. So for us to access heaven and bring it back in this earth, keys are necessary. 
Now, here's what keys denote. Keys denote authority. If you have the key to something, you have authority over it. If I have keys to my vehicle, then I have the authority to take that vehicle wherever I would like. If I have keys to this building, then I have the authority to enter and exit as I please. So when he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom, he's stating, I'm giving you heaven's authority, the kingdom's authority in the earth. Because look what he says here. He says, whatever and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Who's doing the binding? We are. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Who's doing the loosing? We are. So he is identifying the church with authority. Tonight's message is called the state of the union. The state of the union. And tonight I'm going to paint a picture of the church in probably a way you've never seen it. But it's because we haven't seen the church this way that the church is failing and not fulfilling its true purpose as it should. Isaiah chapter 9. I didn't give you that. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. i got to go there. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We have said this before. That Jesus was not a religious man. Jesus did not come here to show us a new way to believe. He came here to show us a new way to live. Jesus did not come here to bring Christianity. Jesus did not come here to bring a new religious system. The world had plenty of those, and it was still falling apart. Jesus came to this earth to restore what Adam lost in the Garden of, God, in the Garden of Eden, what God had given to him, and what Adam had thrown away, forfeited, and given up due to his disobedience. So Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read this verse a lot at Christmas time. But verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the what? government will be upon his shoulder his name will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace verse 7 of the increase of his what government and peace there will be no end his government is ever increasing Remember what we said about a kingdom, that a kingdom is known by its advancement and its ability to expand. There's no king on the face of the planet that desires to just rule his territory and just stay there. Every kingdom has always wanted to expand and grow and take over. That's what makes a kingdom powerful. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it. And establish it with judgment and justice from this time, from that time forward, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. So right here, this verse shows us that Jesus was not a religious man. He was a political man. He was a government figure. And we've identified that we are the body of Christ. We are Jesus' body. 
So here's what I want to submit to you today. The church is not a religious practice. The church is not here so you can feel good about what you did last night, and hopefully it will cover you for the rest of the week until we make it to next Sunday. The church is not here to hear a couple Bible stories and some funny emails and go back home and say, I did my thing for the week. I've honored God and I've served God. The church is a government facility. Is a kingdom government facility. Now with that comes authority. With that comes rights and privileges. With that comes benefits. But I submit to you that the church should be doing more and exercising more in the earth than it has been. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about any specific church. I'm talking about the body of Christ. I'm not talking about a building. I'm not talking about a location or an address or a facility. I'm not talking about a group of people that call themselves church. Okay? We've got to change all this. We've got to remove all this. We have to understand what Jesus means when he says, I will build my church. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've also said this through, our, through these services. We've identified ownership versus control. Who owns the earth? God. Psalms chapter 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And all those who dwell therein. So the earth belongs, is owned by, is possessed by God. But just because you own something doesn't mean you control something. Okay? We've used this picture very many times. But if I own a vehicle, my truck is sitting out in the parking lot, and I give it to Aaron. I don't even know if you can drive yet. You can't drive yet. I better not give it to you. We'll, we'll, we'll pass it on down to Derek. You can, you can stay on the bike for now. We'll, we'll pass it on up. What, you got a couple more years? What, what are you, 14? A month. Wow. You're getting them in there early, huh? <laughs> we'll go to Derek. If I hand over my truck to Derek, who does it belong to? Me. Who's in control of it? Derek. So Derek decides where it goes. Derek decides the speed limit that he goes on the highway. Can't come back to me because he's in control of it. This is what God did with the earth. And because man did not operate or control the earth as he was supposed to, he lost control of it. If Derek is on the highway and he gets caught going 95 and a 75, he's going to lose control of the vehicle. And it's going to go to somebody else. And then I'm going to have to try to get it back into possession of somebody that I want to own it that I know can handle it properly. Are we making sense? Is this painting a picture? This is what God did with the earth. God owned the earth. But he never intended to rule the earth and operate in the earth outside of man. Genesis 1.26, he handed over that control, that dominion, that authority. 
This is the responsibility we're talking about. So this is the church. And the church has become an authoritative figure in the earth. This is why the church is here. The church is not here to help people repent of their sins. The church is not here to help people, uh, you know, say a prayer so they can get to heaven. The church is here for different purposes, and we're going to look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to start with verse 17. This is a popular verse. This is one that we've probably all heard. Verse uh, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is what happened to each one of us at salvation. When you ask Jesus Christ to become Lord of your life, come into your heart, cleanse you of all your sins, all things are passed away, all things have become new. In fact, the Word says that He did this so He would never have to remember your lawless deeds, the things that you did in your old life. Okay? He doesn't even remember them. They've been uh, cast away as far as the east is from the west. So this is what happens at salvation. You have become a new creation. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled or restored us to himself through Jesus Christ. Look at this. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. To reconcile something is to restore something. Well, you can't restore something if it wasn't there at one time. The word restore means to give back or bring back to an original state. We've never looked at these words. To redeem means to buy back. You can't buy back something that you didn't at one time possess. The word, Jesus, when he talked about the kingdom, he he said that the kingdom was like a treasure that was lost, or like a coin that was lost. You can't lose something that you didn't already possess at one time. I can't lose a watch that I've never bought. But I can lose a watch, I've got two of them right now that are missing, that I owned at one time, and I cannot find them. They are lost. Okay? So the kingdom is like a treasure. We are looking. Every man comes into this world looking. They're on an automatic search for the kingdom, whether they know it or not. They are looking for the kingdom that was once, that once belonged to mankind. Okay? Uh, Jesus said that the kingdom is a mystery. He told his disciples in Matthew 13, he said, It has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. Okay? So let's keep going. Verse 18, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us the ministry of restoring. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So what Jesus did, what God did through Jesus in the earth, it says right there, God was in Christ doing what? Reconciling the world to himself. He was restoring the world back to the kingdom that they had lost. 
not imputing trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Why are you here? Why is the church here? To restore the kingdom back to mankind. It's right there. We imp- now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Here's what an ambassador is. An ambassador is a diplomatic official sent by a state to another as its resident representative. This is what an ambassador is. An ambassador is someone that comes from one country, goes to another, resides in that country, but represents the country he has come from. And Paul just called you an ambassador for Christ. An ambassador for Christ. That means that you now represent another country. Probably never heard of heaven talked about as a country, but it is. It's the country, it's the territory, it's the domain that God rules in, in heaven. And so now he has placed mankind in the earth. He has restored authority. He's given the keys of the kingdom to the church. Why? To reconcile man back to him by being an ambassador for Christ. You are to represent heaven in the earth. Is there any sickness in heaven? No. Is there any worry in heaven? No. Is there any anxiousness in heaven? No. All these things are not located in heaven. Yet we have, uh, you know, Christians and, and believers that are struggling. That we're dealing with things. And there's an answer. And we should be able to be that answer to the world. We shouldn't be hurting and struggling just as much as the world is. Now I said at the beginning of this message that what I say brings responsibility. Okay? There is weight behind my words tonight. Because we are causing the church to rise up to the position that it has been missing. This isn't to talk down to anybody. This isn't, look, we are in this world. Jesus stated this himself. But what did he follow that with? We're not of it. This isn't to make me better than anybody else in the world. This is to help me cause someone else to rise up to the level they should be living at. Okay? This is purpose. This is the church's purpose in the earth. This is not a common message. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. We are representatives of Christ. Jesus did not walk around sympathizing with people in the world. He walked around pulling people up out of the world and saying, this is how you should live. And he hadn't even died on the cross yet. He hadn't even made full redemption and full restoration available. But what was he doing? He was giving the church an example to live by and to follow. 
So when Jesus cast out a demon, he expected the church to cast out a demon. When Jesus healed the sick, he expected the church to heal the sick. When Jesus operated in authority over the earth, he expected the church to operate in authority over the earth. Not to be powerless. Not to be uh, just showing people a heavenly place that one day we can all go to that's a lot better than where you're at today. Sure, it's a lot better, but we can bring it here. Matthew chapter 6. What, is, what, what does the Lord's Prayer say? Let's pull it up. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 9, I think it is. Matthew 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth, as it is where? In heaven. You mean Jesus is actually asking me to pray that what's going on in heaven needs to be happening down here in the earth? And how's that going to happen? How's that going to take place? Do we just find a prayer closet somewhere and say, Jesus, please show us heaven. Jesus, please show us what heaven's like. No. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then he goes over to Matthew chapter 16 and says, guess what? I'm going to build my church. Right there identifying that there will be some churches that are not my church. He wouldn't have to identify my church if all the churches were his church. So he's going ahead and letting you know there are some churches that are not my church. This happened in Revelations. There were seven churches that got letters. Seven. Guess how many of them made the cut? One. One out of seven. That's not a good ratio. But that shows us in the last days of how many churches are going to take up what Jesus left behind. And the church has been real good at getting people to the cross. No problem. But the cross is meant to be a starting point, not a stopping point. The cross is a door. If you, if you invite me to your house and you make me stand outside at the door, I'm not coming back. The cross is the doorway into what? The kingdom. The cross is a starting point. We've got to get to the cross. You've got to get to the cross. That's where you start. And I'm not reducing or degrading what Jesus did because the punishment he went to was the most brutal thing You could ever go through on this earth. But it was because he was restoring a kingdom. Jesus was killed. Jesus was put to death for political reasons. I mean, if we ever sat down to think about it, Jesus, the nicest man on the face of the planet. I mean, he's healing people, restoring people, casting demons out. I mean, he's the coolest guy. Why wouldn't everybody love him? Multitudes are following him. But there were people that were upset with what he was doing because they sought his position and his person as a political advancement. 
against the government, against the most important government of that time, the Roman Empire, the strongest government. If you know anything about history, the Romans conquered the world. And Jesus rises up and calls himself a king. In fact, at the end of Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, he says, I will build my church. Who do people say that I am? And then he ends the whole thing with, don't tell anybody what we've talked about. Why? Because they would only see this as a political advancement and not for what I'm really doing and who I really am. Because Jesus was always having to fight the fact that people would see his kingdom as a natural kingdom and not a spiritual kingdom. In fact, the one instance that turned the whole situation around for Jesus was when he raised Lazarus from the dead. That is when they all got together after they heard that he raised Lazarus from the dead and they decided, that's it, we have to get rid of this man. It would be better to lose this one man than lose the whole nation. They were in fear that an entire nation was going to follow after his political stance and his political movement. And they never saw his position as spiritual. They only saw it as natural. He's setting up a natural kingdom. And when you go to Acts chapter 1, right before Jesus ascends back into heaven, and his disciples ask him, so is is this when you're going to establish your kingdom in Israel? Is this it? Still thinking a natural kingdom. And Jesus has to say, come on. Have I not been with you? Are you you still not understanding? And you know what they had to wait for? The very next verse is when he tells them, go to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit reveals the kingdom to you. But up until that point, they're still looking for a natural kingdom. I mean, he says... Uh, in three days, I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it. And they're thinking, you can't rebuild a temple in three years. It took 40 years. Three days? Still not seeing it. Spiritual. And they're looking at a natural cause and a natural movement. Okay? So this is Jesus Christ. And this is what he has passed on to his church. His church. I will build My church. My church. And I will give you keys. I will give you authority of my kingdom to operate in this earth. Because I've been sent here for one purpose. To bring you the kingdom. The very first thing Jesus ever says in ministry is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Very first thing he ever says. And then from there on, it's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. The kingdom. It's a kingdom. So, Jesus is establishing his church. And his church is a government entity. Now, an ambassador resides in an embassy. In an embassy. And an embassy, again, an ambassador is out of one country and in another, representing the home country. If the United States sends an ambassador to Germany, they are to represent the United States in Germany. 
They're not to go over there and become German citizens and start doing, every, every, doing everything the way Germans do it. John chapter 17. You reside in this earth. We all reside in the earth. This is very clear. But John chapter 17 is an important passage. And I never really had read it a whole lot myself. But this is the prayer that Jesus prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. Now think about this. Jesus is getting ready to face death. He knows what he's up against. He knows the torture, the beatings, and the death he's getting ready to go through. He knows this. And you would think that he's in this garden busy praying about himself. And we know that he prayed, look, if there's any way for this cup to pass, but what does he say? Not my will, your will. But look what this passage shows us. John chapter 17. Our purpose in this earth is to bring people back to the kingdom of God. John chapter 17, verse 9. I pray for them. He's he's talking about his disciples. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world. He wasn't even praying for the world. You know, we spend a lot of time praying for the world. And Jesus straight up says, I don't pray for the world. But I pray for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Didn't we talk about that last week? That the body is to bring glory to God? We just talked about that. That he gets glory when you live for him. Verse 10 again. And all mine are yours, and yours are mine. There's that possession again. There's that my again. And he's not talking belongs to or I possess it. He's talking... They're a part of us. You know, in John 15, he talks about, I am the vine, and you are the branches. How is a branch a part of a vine? Because it's attached. A vine doesn't look at a branch laying way over there and say, oh, there's my branch. No. You don't even even have to say nothing. You know that that you know that the branch belongs to the vine because it's attached to the vine. The the identification is in who you're attached to. Man. Verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name those who... Whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. I mean, he's expecting the church to be as close with God as he was. Was he close with God? This is what he's praying in the garden, guys. This is it. Verse 12 While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you. 
And these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. Just as soon as you identify yourself as not of the world, expect hate, persecution and confrontation. Expect it. There is no surprise. And it doesn't move you. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Verse 15. Mm. This is probably the number one verse that we have missed as a church. Jesus says, I do not pray that you should should take them out of the world. But that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus is saying... I'm not asking you to get them to heaven. I'm not saying get them out. Look, I'm going to the cross. I'm rising again for eternal life. Now you can get them out. Now we can get them back to heaven like we've always wanted. Was Adam looking for heaven? Was Eve looking for heaven? Was Moses or Abraham looking for heaven? Was King David looking for heaven? No. They were looking for their purpose in the earth. He says, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. Here it is, verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or separate them. By your truth, your word is truth. Knowing the truth of God's word will separate you from those around you. Go ahead and know that. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them. He's actually sending us into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself. That they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone. Look at this. But also for those who will believe in me through their word. There are some words that we should be saying that should bring people to the kingdom. He's not just praying for his disciples. He's praying for everyone that the disciples preach to and come into the kingdom. That they all may be one. As you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. This is the church. This is his church. And the disciples and the apostles were not running around people, running around to people, preaching heaven and trying to get people to heaven. They were preaching the kingdom of God. They were preaching your purpose in the earth. And then God makes you one with him, puts you in him and puts you in Christ, that you would abide in him, 
that you would abide with him and become one to where you are inseparable and you are not identified as different. So Acts chapter 4 shows up. I don't have the verse, but Acts chapter 4 shows up. Peter and John are walking by the temple at the gate called Beautiful. There's a lame man. What do they do? Heal him. They're doing exactly what Jesus did. Immediately. I mean, boom. We have Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 3. They're filled with the Holy Ghost. And now we've got them doing the same things that Jesus did. It brings the city and it brings the area into an uproar. Again, people are hating them. People aren't excited that they're there. People, uh, you know, are doing just what Jesus said would happen. They will hate you because they hated me. And these people said this about Peter and John. I don't know what it is, but they look a lot like this Jesus guy we just put to death. Let me read it. Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Is this good? Come on. Is this good? Acts chapter 4. 4 verse 13. Acts chapter 3 is when they actually healed the man. And then we go into Peter and John being arrested in Acts chapter 4. And verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. I'm telling you, your past and your background has nothing to do with what the Spirit of God can do through you. So go ahead and get rid of those natural limitations. And they realized that they had been with Jesus. Are people realizing that you've been with Jesus? You know why they were realized as being with Jesus? Because they're the church. They were his church. Carrying out the authority that was given to them through the keys of the kingdom. Healing a lame man. Bringing restoration and deliverance to this man. Bringing freedom to this man. I mean, this man has never walked a day in his life. And he's just sitting by a gate with the cup out hoping they'll drop some coins in it. And how many years has he been doing that? And they realized that they had been with Jesus. They were identified as being with Jesus because they were his church, belonging to, possessed by, and attached to Jesus. They were the body of Christ. This did not die off in Acts. This did not die off in the epistles. This wasn't just for us to read about and say, wow, what a good story. These are examples. This is what, is, this is what the church is supposed to be doing. We are a government entity. Here are some facts about an, about a, about an embassy. People that live on an embassy are not limited by the country's provision and resources that they're in. 
Do you know that someone, an ambassador that lives on an embassy in another country, is immune from their laws? Has full immunity. So that means our economy should not affect us. This government should not affect us. We are on kingdom soil, this church. And I don't mean this building. I mean if you are the church, the body of Christ. You are literally immune from this world. The health care plan and the health care system of this world doesn't affect you. We have authority. It doesn't affect you. You are kingdom territory. You know, you become kingdom property. Which means you ought to operate according to heaven's standards. We just talked about a standard of living this morning. Heaven's standards ought to be operating in our lives. I'm not governed by what's going on in this world. I'm not governed... I don't care what time of year it is. I don't have to get the flu. I don't care what the health care systems and the doctors say. I don't have to get that shot. Why? Because I am ruled and controlled by another territory. This is the kingdom. This is the kingdom you're a part of, and this is the church in operation in this earth. This is the kingdom. The church is a government entity, and you are ambassadors. Now, what comes with that? Representation. We are to be representatives of heaven. And people ought to identify you with heaven. And people ought to identify you with Jesus. And people ought to identify you as one of those people. Because they did Peter and John. Peter and John didn't have to go out and say, hey, we're followers of Jesus. You know that guy that you put to death and he came back to life and went to heaven? Yeah, we followed that guy. We hung out with him for three years. Nope. They were picked out. They were identified. We already saw in Acts chapter 11 where the first time the term Christian comes out. And the disciples and the apostles, they weren't walking around saying, you know, I think we should call ourselves Christians, you know, because we followed Christ. And so since we act like him and look like him, I think we should, let's tell people that we're Christians. That wasn't the case. Acts chapter 11, people on the outside identified them as following Jesus and being a part of his crowd. And so they're the ones that came up with the term Christian. You know what the, you know what the disciples call themselves? They call themselves believers. They call themselves brethren. They call themselves saints. They never call themselves Christians. An apple tree does not need to put a sign on it that says, I'm an apple tree. What tells you? The fruit it bears. So the fruit that the church is bearing ought to identify us in the world as being a part of the church. State of the Union. This is the State of the Union. You know, we know every year a State of the Union address comes out. What is it? It's talking about the government and what's up. We're talking about the government. Because Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, said that the government was upon what? His shoulders. 
his shoulders. My shoulders are a part of my body. Whose body? Jesus' bodies. Jesus' body. So the government in action rests within the church. That's why we said that nothing should be taking place in this earth without our permission. We have authority over storms. Can I tell you how many hurricanes we've talked to in Florida? I'm not lying. Sounds stupid. But did Jesus tell winds and waves to obey? We have authority over our bodies. And we can call our bodies to line up with the word of God. We have authority over spirits of fear and anxiety or worry or anything that would come against God and his word. You know, the only thing that stops us is us and and the knowledge that we gain in these areas. That's it. And I'm going to tell you right now, this is not going to be a church that keeps people in the dark on these things. If the church is going to rise up in the last days and be his church, then there's some knowledge and there's some things that we're going to have to come out and we're going to have to say it. There's no gray area. It's black or white. There's not a topic that I will, that I will fail to talk to you about, even if you approach me. Well, you know, I, I don't really touch, you know, you believe what you want to believe and I believe. No, we don't have time for this. I believe this and you believe that and we're all good. We don't got time for that. It's a lie from the enemy is what it is. And as, as long as the enemy can keep the church in the dark on these things, he wins every time. If you don't know what the word says about your finances, he wins. If you don't know what the word says about your health and your body, he wins. If you don't know what the word says about fear and worry, he wins. He wins. And it's time that the devil quits winning, stops winning. And it's time for the church to rise up and take their place and enter in to the government position, the royal position, the authority position that Jesus put us here for. John fourteen twelve he says, Anyone that believes on me, anyone, the works that I do, he will do, and even greater works. Has anyone ever bothered to stop and ask how you do greater works than raising someone from the dead? What did he mean? He meant it would be greater in number. There would be more people doing what I did. When Jesus was on the earth, there was one man healing the sick, one man raising the dead, one man casting out devils, one man telling storms. What if all the disciples could do that? What if there was a disciple in the boat that night when Jesus walked on the water that could stand up and say, hey, that same authority he had, we have, because I believe in him. So this storm in the name of Jesus has to cease. What if when Jesus walked by the fig tree, he didn't have to curse it? One of his disciples could do it. I mean, there was one time that uh, a man 
brought uh, his son that was tormented and demon-possessed to the disciples. And they couldn't do nothing about it. So Jesus shows up and they say, can you do something about this? Because your disciples, they're not helping us. They couldn't, he couldn't, they couldn't get it done. And Jesus looks at him and says, you have little faith. How much longer? How much longer must I tarry with you? How much longer must I deal with this? He's expecting us to step up and do this. Where is Jesus? He's in heaven, man. He's sitting down, seated at the right hand of the Father. Heaven is not waiting, or we are not waiting on heaven. Heaven is waiting on us. It's, the Word said that what we bind will be bound up there. What we loose will be loosed up there. Heaven is up there waiting. Okay, are they going to do it? They, they got the power. We've given them the Holy Spirit. We've given them the Word. We've sanctified them. They're in the world. They're not of the world. They shouldn't be living according to that nature. They shouldn't have to be dealing with that issue. That's for the world. They're supposed to be in there changing that. Salt changes everything it touches. Light changes everything it touches. Tell me one time that darkness ever took over light. It doesn't matter how big the light is. It will eradicate some form of darkness. I can come in this room completely pitch black and bring a match and I will be able to see something within the proximity of that light. Or I can bring a flashlight and go a little further. Or I can turn the lights on and take the whole thing out of darkness. Darkness never wins. But the light's got to come on. This is why we're here. We are here to be an influence. We are here to reconcile people back to the kingdom, to restore people back to the kingdom. That's what that word reconcile means, to restore back. If you reconcile a brother that has sinned against you, you are restoring that relationship between you two. I mean, if, if Jimmy goes and talks behind my back to somebody and I go back and I go to him and, and try to reconcile the relationship, what am I doing? I'm salvaging the relationship. I'm restoring it back to, man, look, I forgive you. It don't matter what you said. It don't matter what you did. I forgive you. What I do, I just reconciled him back. I just restored that relationship. That's what Jesus did. Said that God did that through Jesus. And then it says that we now have the ministry. Look, your sins were taken away. Your past was eradicated. Your old way of living has been done away with. Why? So I could be fresh and clean for myself and say, thank you, Jesus, for getting that out of me? No. It was so now I can offer up the ministry of reconciliation. Now I can be in this earth and minister to people the kingdom of God and restore them back to their position and possession that was taken away, that was thrown away, forfeited, and given up. That's why. It's a strong message. I know. I know it is. That's why I started out by telling you about weight behind words. Because there's a lot of weight tonight. That, come on, there are, there are people in here that will have to go home and read these scriptures again. There are people in here that will go home and, and have to get the CD or have to hear it online again. I understand that. This wasn't my first time studying it today and saying, eh, that sounds good. This is something I've ingrained in myself. This is something that I've meditated on. It said meditate on the word day and night. What does that mean? Uh, in the morning and at night, read it? No, it means throughout the day I'm comprehending it. I'm thinking about it. It's, it's in my mind. It's in my spirit. I'm feeding my spirit. That's what we're doing. That's the word we're bringing. Amen? Amen. Well, Father, we thank you this evening. We thank you for your word.
Your word is truth. 